All right, good morning, everybody. Um, as someone who usually is not up here, uh, I never thought about the whole idea that whenever we have these 30 seconds to be encouraging to people, it's great until you're the preacher and then all of your friends keep sending you these messages on here um, that maybe aren't as encouraging. Um, but no, we, we are so thankful that you're here this morning, and uh, we want to talk this morning a little bit about this idea of perception, right? Perception, right? The way that we see the world. The way that I am seeing this worship center obviously is a lot different than you guys. It's a lot more terrifying from up here, but that's okay. Um, God has blessed us with the ability to perceive things, right? And so as we want to start this morning, I would love for us to, uh, in the nature of, of our title, take a little quiz, all right? So I want you guys to answer true or false. Uh, we'll have you raise your hands. Uh, if you're with us online, uh, welcome again, and you can answer in the chat there. Just type true or false. But this first question, true or false, are there four planks on the screen? Who thinks that is true? Who thinks there are four planks on the screen? All right. Who thinks that is false? Wow, that's a lot. I honestly have no idea what the real answer is, but... Um, all right, next one. So, it doesn't matter. Next one. True or false? The yellow circles are the same size. Who thinks that is true? Y'all cheated. Who thinks it's false? Don't raise your hand. Oh. All right, you're right. The yellow circles are absolutely the same size. Now, I know it's weird. Um, this last one... I, I don't want to incite any riots, and it's actually not about sports this time, which it, uh, you know, most of the time is. But true or false, the shoe in this picture is pink and white. Who says that's true? Who thinks that is false? For, for the false people, what color do y'all see? Gray and blue. I have no idea. How you see gray and blue. It is clearly pink and white. Right? It, it's kind of freaky. Let's just be honest. All right. Whenever I was growing up, I hated true or false questions. For lots of reasons. But the biggest was this. I could look at something and I could read it and I could be 100% sure that the answer was true. And then I would see the very same thing and I would look at it in a different way. And I would talk myself out of it. I, mean, I, I think this is false. I don't think this is something that is true. And so I would go back and forth. And, and, you know, inevitably, I would get the question wrong. But when you think about it, this whole idea that we have the ability to change how we see the world around us, it really is one of the things that separates us from the rest of God's creation. Right? And it's a pretty cool thing. Right? We have the ability to, to see something in the world, whether it be ourselves, other people. We can see them one way, and then we can turn right around. We can change our perception, and we can see them in another way. And, and that's pretty cool. You know, and, and truthfully, it really is one of God's greatest gifts. The ability to change how we see the world around us is one of God's greatest gifts. Gifts. 
But it's also one of Satan's greatest tools. Right? And I know that feels kind of counterintuitive. But think about it this way. And we don't have time to really dive into this this morning. Really, at its core, every single sin is just a misused gift from God. All right, and again, we're not going to dive into that idea today. But when we think about the idea of the ability to change how we see the world around us, it really is one of God's greatest gifts and Satan's greatest tools. And here's how that kind of plays out. Let's look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. All right, it says this, and we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. All right, so right off the bat, we we see that there are two spirits, right? And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the spirit, using the spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who are not spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it for only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. And so here, here's the gift. Seeing the world through the spirit of God allows us to see the truths of God. And I don't know about you guys, for me, that is a huge blessing. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but the world around us is kind of um, ridiculously crazy right now. And, and I think that the past year is just a, a further confirmation that, y'all, this world is crazy. And so the ability that we have to look at the world the way that God has intended us to is a huge, huge blessing for us. But of course, there is the inverse of that. Let's go back to verse 14 for just a second. But people who aren't spiritual, and first off, people who aren't spiritual, that's not a measure of your spirituality, right? That's basically just saying people who are not seeing the world the way that God has intended. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths. They can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. So Satan's plan here is to prey on our perception. Right? And I think that he can do this in, in a lot of ways. But when I look at the world, and you know, I could throw up a, a bunch of statistics up here, and, and I could go from personal experience, but... The way that I think he has found to do this with the most success is he preys on our perception in a way that causes us to feel inadequate. Has anybody ever felt inadequate? Like all the time? Like when you know you're supposed to preach and you really don't want to? Like that we have this ability... To see the world in many different ways. And so often, the way that we choose leads us to feel 
inadequate. And Satan is so good at this. And I feel like the biggest reason he does this is because of all the emotions that we have. Inadequacy is one of the few that promotes inaction. Right? Think about it. So when we're angry, we get mad and we want to do something about it. When we're scared, we, we want to run, we, we want to do something, we, we want to be active, right? But of all the emotions that we can feel, inadequacy is one of the few that promotes inaction. And Satan, he, he's figured this out, right? He, he's been doing this much longer than we have. And the reason this is his go-to method is this. He knows two things. He knows more than two things, but he knows two things specifically for what we're talking about today. The first is this. Satan knows that when God shows up, he's going to lose, right? Ten times out of ten, and that is awesome, right? That's something that, that I wish I would remember more in my life. Every time God shows up, Satan loses. But because of that, Satan knows that his only chance to limit or for success, is to limit God's opportunities to show up. And so here's what that looks like. You know, we have this friend, someone that we want to talk to, someone that we feel like really needs to hear a message from God, right? And we start to go, and they're like, man, what if they ask me a question I don't know? What if I can't give them any answers? What if what I say is going to push them further away And so Satan starts to let that doubt manifest inside of us. And eventually we get to the point to where, you know, I will probably just do more harm than good. And therefore, I'm not going to do anything at all. When we don't try, we don't give God the opportunity to show up and do something amazing. And when we do that, Satan wins. And he knows that that's the only way. He's already lost the war, but that's the only way that he can win the battles that we're facing. And so what I wanted to do just for the rest of our time together today is I want us to talk about the importance of seeing the world, the way that God wants us to see it. I want to talk about three truths that God desperately wants us to remember and that Satan desperately wants us to forget. And so for the next 16 minutes and 29 seconds, uh, according to the count. Did y'all know we had a countdown clock? No? It's, it's fine if you didn't. I don't think Josh has noticed it either. Um, <clears throat> where, there you are. What's great about that is I got to make that last time too. So he knew it was coming, but it didn't matter. And then I went over last time. So it didn't, you know, this joke wasn't as funny <laughs> for you guys. So what I wanted to do is I want to talk about these truths and figure out ways that we can see the world the way that God has intended us to do so. Let's pray, guys. Father, we do love you. God, we're so thankful for your truths. We're so thankful for the God that you are, Father. I pray that you would just speak through me this morning as we get to talk about some things from your word. And I pray, God, that it is not me that is speaking, Father, but you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.
first truth that God desperately wants us to remember and Satan desperately wants us to forget is the truth about our responsibilities. It is so easy for us to feel inadequate when we confuse our responsibilities with God's responsibilities. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the feeding of the 5,000. And so the, the quick version of this story is that Jesus and his disciples, they, were, um, they wanted to get away, actually. And as was very normal, a huge crowd of people followed them. And so Jesus being Jesus, he decided that he was going to stop and he was going to preach. And so as the day went on, the sun went up, the sun started to go down, and the people there were getting hangry, right? Everybody knows what hangry is. You are angry because you're hungry. Um, and so it doesn't say that in Scripture, but it's probably there. So what happened was Jesus and the disciples decided to get together and figure out what in the world they were going to do. And so Jesus, the sovereign Son of God, in all of his wisdom, he says, you feed them. And so at this point, they're looking at each other like, well, what do you mean we feed them? Have you seen how many people are here? Like, uh, I think Philip, he was the one that said, you know, it would take half a year's wages to feed everybody. And then, of course, you know, you have Peter coming up. He's like, hey, I just stole some bread and some fish from this kid. Maybe we, maybe we can use it. Maybe we can uh, do something here. I have no idea. And I love what uh, Mark says in his version of this story because it says from the beginning, as they started to talk, Jesus already had an idea of what he was going to do. And so you can, you can see the scene play out where he takes the fish and he takes the bread and he begins to multiply it. He puts it in some baskets. He hands it to his disciples. And then he says, you feed them. And like that, they realize, holding the basket, oh, this is what you meant. As wildly incompatible as this story seems to be with our lives today, I think the important thing to take away from it is this. So often we think God is asking us to do miracles when he is simply asking us to carry baskets. We feel this deep burden and responsibility to do these things that God never intended for us to do. And I'm not going to lie, for me, that's difficult. I am 1,000% a fixer, right? I am, and my lovely wife confirmed this for me in first service, I am an Enneagram 2. All I know is that my wife told me I am and that it means I'm a helper, right? So I help people. When I see someone struggling, when I see someone with a sin in their life, I want to fix it. I want to go and I want to rip that out of their life. I don't want them to hurt. I don't want them to do things that are going to screw up how they're living. I want to take the sin out of their life. And when I can't do that, I feel like a failure. I feel worthless because that's something that I want to do so bad. And that's how Satan gets us. When we confuse our responsibilities with God's responsibilities, it is so easy for us to feel inadequate. You know, as followers of Jesus, it is just as important to know what our responsibilities are not as it is to know what our responsibilities 
are. Because we don't want to give Satan the opportunity to step in and cause us to feel inadequate. The second thing is this. The second truth that we desperately need to remember, that God wants us to know, that Satan wants us to forget is this. The truth about our roles. It's easy to feel inadequate when we let the world define how to fulfill our roles. Now listen, at my core, I am a good old southern boy, all right? Don't let the skinny jeans fool you. Like, I, I am, to my core, a southern boy. I went to Saudi Daisy, right? I say oil. That's oil for some of you other people. Um, you know, from the time that a, a girl can walk, she is a ma'am. And I love to have a little bit of tea with my cup of sugar, right? I, I am southern to the core. And, and I've lived in the south most of my life. But I'm going to be honest. Our southern culture, and I'm sure it's this way with others. I just, I can't speak to that. But our southern culture does not do us any favors when we try to figure out who God has called us to be and what roles we're supposed to fulfill. And this is why. Here's what the Bible says we should do in our lives. Here are the roles we should play. We should be someone that has a good work ethic. Right? We should be someone who is kind to our neighbors. And we should be someone who is an involved parent for those of you who have kids. What does culture say, especially in the South, that our roles should be? They say we should have a good work ethic. They say we should be kind to our neighbors and that we should be involved parents. Do do you see the problem here? What culture says we should do and what God says we should do often sound the same. But where we get tripped up is what they mean and how we should fulfill these roles. See, when culture says have a good work ethic, what they mean is do whatever you can, work hard at being successful. But what God means when he says have a good work ethic is work hard at the things that are going to matter for eternity. When culture says be kind to your neighbors, if we're being honest, it means love them enough to leave them alone. What God says it means to love your neighbors is to love them enough not to leave them alone. Even when you really, really want to. When culture says we want you to be an evolved parent, what it means is do whatever you can to make your child well-rounded. When God says be an evolved parent, he means do whatever you can to make your child look more like Jesus. And honestly, Satan really has two ways at coming at us here because if we try to live up to the crazy, crazy standards of the world, the standards that keep changing and keep going higher and higher and higher, as we try to fulfill these roles, nine times out of ten, we're going to fail. And when we fail, we're going to feel inadequate. 
But let's just say by some miracle, you are that super family out there that can consistently keep up with what culture is expecting you to do. If those don't match up with what God created you to do, you're always going to feel like something is missing. And from there, again, Satan can make us feel inadequate. So God wants us to remember the truth about our responsibilities. He wants us to remember the truth about our roles. And the last one here, God wants us to remember the truth about our real value. It's easy to feel inadequate when we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. Uh, I want to formally introduce you guys to the smelliest member of our family, not Rachel. Uh, That is our dog, Chewy. Chewy is, of course, short for Chewbarka because we're nerds. Um, So here's the deal. Chewy loves my wife. Like, it's actually pretty obnoxious if we're being honest, but everybody can walk in the house and he runs straight to her, right? Even if she just goes out and comes like right back in. In the mornings, she's often the first one to wake up, and so he will follow her around in the mornings until she stops and gives him some attention. But she absolutely loves my wife. So... Rachel sends me this picture uh, with a text message of Chewy was, let's just say, thoroughly reprimanded. We'll just go with that. Uh, because he ate the rest of the bacon off the counter. Now, I don't know about y'all's house, but like, that is a capital offense in our house. Um, we're serious about bacon. Uh, but so Rachel texts me and she said, Chewy was thoroughly reprimanded for eating the rest of the bacon off of the counter. I was like, man, I'm surprised he's still alive. And so I scroll down, and I see, but I just found out that it was actually Aniston. So, um, to which I replied, of course, well, you know, is Aniston still alive? But, and she is, she's right here, actually. Um, But the point is this, the next text I get from her says, I'm glad that he doesn't hold a grudge. And this is the picture that, that she sent. I know this is a silly example. But Chewy thinks that my wife is the greatest thing created in the history of humanity. And our God feels the same way about us times infinity. Y'all, it doesn't matter what we think about God It doesn't matter how many times we accuse God of something that he probably didn't do. It doesn't matter how often we get mad at God. And it also doesn't matter how we see ourselves. It doesn't matter how worthless sometimes we feel like we are. The truth is that real value has absolutely nothing to do with what something is worth. And everything to do with how much someone is willing to pay for it. And when we think about our God, the thing that he paid 
was the life of his son. Y'all, we, we are loved so much by God. And I'm just as guilty as anybody else of forgetting that, of looking at my life, wishing that I could have done this better or, or done that better. We will never be perfect. But in God's eyes, we will always be worth it. You know, when, when we think about those true-false questions that we were talking about earlier, if the correct answer is true, yet we choose false, does it make the statement false? That was kind of confusing. Did y'all catch that? No, it doesn't. If the answer is true, if, the, if it is really true, and we pick false, just because we picked false doesn't make it false. Because when something is true, it's always true whether we believe it or not, whether we see it or not. And what's so great about the truths of God, even more so than any other truth, is that they are always true. They are always there, and we can always go back to them. And I feel like that is such a beautiful thing to remember. And it's absolutely something that Satan wants us to forget. You know, I feel like this past year has been, for a lot of people, one of the most overwhelming ever. Right? There's been a couple things going on in the world that has totally flipped our lives upside down kind of like Fresh Prince. Um, Some of you understand that, some of you don't. But here's the thing. If if you don't feel like you can focus on any of these truths but one, I, I want to encourage you to think about and focus on the truth of your real Value. Surround yourself with people that are going to speak that into your life, whether it's with a group or your family or people that you love. We are never going to be perfect, but we are always going to be worth it.